This is the Authentic Entrepreneurs Podcast with your host, Nick Foley and Stu Saunders. Here we go. This is what I got to say. It's a bit of a dance party here in the studio. For you and nobody else. You know what? Sometimes you got to have a good music to pump yourself up, to get yourself organized and energized and focused. And today we have a we got a great episode today, and I'll turn this off. Oh, thanks, man. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we got a great episode today. We are uh, we are hanging out with an amazing individual, Eric Tumunde, um, and I'm going to ask to make sure I'm saying that right in the episode because I think that's important to know someone's name. Um, but Eric is really an expert in you know workplace, uh, workplace community, workplace life, and uh, you know it's a it's an interview that I was looking forward to. Um, and you know, you, were you, how were you, how do you feel? Are you excited about this? Yeah, I am. He's a smart, uh, he's a smart man. He's, he, he's uh, very knowledgeable on workplace life, like you said, and culture. And it's actually uh, not next week. It's this week. Yeah, this week. And, uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's an expert in, in creating a culture and that is conducive to individuals, not, uh, yeah. you know, not uh, mass assumptions that just because you're a millennial or just because you're this age demographic or you're that demographic, that this is all one size fits all. He's, uh, he's really great at, um, getting companies to understand that, that you're hiring individuals and not, uh, you know, broad scope. So looking forward to the interview. Yeah. And so, uh, please enjoy our long ranging wide or wide, wide ranging in-depth conversation that I think is a good, it's a good interview also for those who are building out a, uh, a team um, or, or wanting to build a team out as an entrepreneur. And also being a person who goes to interviews, you know, we have, I know we have a yeah. lot of young listeners and he, he uh, I know Eric in, in, uh, in this, um, one of the questions that we ask, he comes back with a great response. If you were to um, ask one, if you had one practical um, uh, question you could ask or um, action you could take, what would it be? And he said, you know, have an hour with somebody who's in your position. And I thought that was yeah. really great advice. Yeah, so. he said maybe it's better to get out, get off offline. Yep, yeah, which I think was great too because he's so. uh, he's a millennial, Smart one of the man. top 100 under 35 people in business and. Uh, Top 135, that's what it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. So enjoy our, our interview, our conversation, and what we learned from uh, Eric to Monday. Okay, we are totally pumped up right now. We have Eric, he's with us. And Eric, the first thing I wanna ask you is uh, in researching you, uh, your last name. Yeah. I wanna be able to say it eloquently, clearly, and, and, and properly. So Eric, just say your last, my eyes are closed, I'm gonna absorb it, go. Termundi. Termundi, Termundi. Termundi, Termundi. Termundi. The perfect, so eloquent, I appreciate it. <laughs> Eric Termundi. I always, I always, I work with kids and we always tell our staff that one of the most important things you do for a kid when you're working with them is ask them how to say their name or how they want their name to be said because it gives them validation sure. and you know, and, and it's nice thing to do. So, well, Eric, thank a you. Great place to start. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's really important that people like say the right thing. So, to Monday, got it. Eric, thank you for joining us on the Authentic Entrepreneurs. We really appreciate it. Um, and I know, I know that it's a busy time of year. We're recording this in between Christmas and New Year's, and you're on the way out for a, a probably a well-deserved vacation. Um, and uh, so, we appreciate it a lot. Um, Eric, you have done a lot of stuff in your short life. You're still relatively young. You're a, you're a millennial. 
Um, I know that you uh, you talk with that in your programs about the labels that people are given um, mm -hmm. and the ta you know, tags are given. And uh, so you're a quote unquote millennial. Um, and I just, I love how you, you frame that. Um, you're one of the um, top uh, 100 under 35. <clears throat> how old are you now? I should not, never ask a person your age. You know what, you can ask, tw I'm 26. So you're still under 35. But yeah, I got a little ways to go yet. So do you have to maintain the top 100 under 35 for <laughs> the next nine years? That's right. Hey, I'll take it. And then after 35, maybe you'll hit the under 40. Who knows? Um, but uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you, you you said pretty cool stuff. And at such a young age, I'm old. I'm 48. At such a young age, you really are like, you're taking the world by storm. And, uh, and you're traveling the world and you're speaking and you're sharing your message. In kind of like a brief... Um, a little bit of a brief synopsis for us and for our listeners and viewers. Can you kind of like give us that bit of a like, how did Eric end up talking to Nick and I uh, about you? About you? What's your story? I, I'm still pinching myself, Stu. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But um, if I were to look at, at the path, I guess, that got me here, uh, unorthodox, unconventional, I think. Um, that said, if we look at most people's lives, we're unconventional and unorthodox in our own ways. But, um, you know, I had to, we're, we're Canadian. I had the privilege of growing up in small-town British Columbia uh, from a town called Cranbrook, B.C., about uh, 23,000 person population. And uh, in the summers, when I was in high school, I worked in the Northwest Territories in the Yukon. I was doing a lot of mineral exploration and geological work for my dad. So I spent most of my summers with moose and grizzly bears and wolves and wolverines. Uh, and that I think if I'm looking back uh, at the time, I wasn't a big fan of the work. It kind of felt that I was stuck and isolated, uh, although by choice uh, in, a, in a camp working for, you know, upwards of 88 days. I think I, I think my, my record was 42 days without a break. Um, so it wow. was a it was a pretty good stint. Um, but. That sort of taught me that whatever was going to happen moving forward, it was going to be pretty easy. So if you have to put in a long day at work, if you have to do that one extra email or that one extra call for a lead generation, you know, it's, it's no big deal compared to the hail and the snow and the sleet and the, and the long days in the north. Um, I was a student at the University of Calgary, uh, the business school now. By no means was I a 4.0 student. Uh, in fact, I was almost on dean's vacation, meaning I was nearly failing. Uh, my first and second year, I uh, came back to school after regrouping in Australia and realized that a lot of my skill set was going to be in the communication side of things, in the extracurricular and the informal education side of things. And so I joined a bunch of the clubs. I ended up being the vice president of the student union for the University of Calgary uh, and did everything I could do to build my resume, knowing that my GPA wasn't going to be the thing that I could anchor on. Um, when I graduated as an ambassador, uh, a class ambassador, for the University of Calgary as one of five students. Uh, I did what everyone else did, and I applied to 60 or 70 different jobs. I changed that one line in the cover letter, and I realized that, hey, you know what? <laughs> I didn't even get the opportunity to interview with some of the jobs that I was looking for. I wanted to work with Deloitte or PwC or Ernst & Young or KPMG. Didn't get the chance to. And so what I realized is that when I looked at these job descriptions, it was very difficult to differentiate that experience between McKinsey or Bain or BCG or PwC or, or, or Deloitte. And uh, what we set out to do then is to try and solve this talent problem. You know, companies across the world were saying, how do we work with millennials? How do we attract and retain the next generation? And you identified early as, as a millennial myself, I thought, hey, you know what? I don't think 
my values, wants, needs, and expectations are all that much different than yours. And so if we can differentiate the job based on the experience that people have when they're there, as opposed to just the skills and requirements needed to do it, in many cases, those aren't really differentiators at all, then we can tell a better story to attract a better candidate. And it wasn't about their age or their ethnicity or their religion or their sex. It was about who they were as individuals. And so we're trying to ultimately remove that negative connotation associated with work through the consulting practice and ultimately led to my book, Rethink Work, that came out in 2017 and has sort of started to pave the way for a speaking career now uh, that I'm quite happy to say has been my full dedication for the last little while here. So just speaking to that, uh, Eric, you know, Stu alluded to, you have obviously a really impressive resume. You've worked with, you know, um, Forbes and Huffington Post, Globe and Mail and, and things of that nature. So if a, a person hasn't seen you on stage or they haven't got a chance to read their book, what are, what, let's start with the book. Um, what, what are three takeaways that you would like, you know, someone to take away once they, once they've accomplished, when they finished your book? That everyone has the opportunity to enjoy the work that they do. And it's really easy to speak in empty platitudes or value statements and to go, you know, follow or find your passion. And I think that that is well intended, but unfortunately bad advice. I think we can agree that the three of us have numerous passions. I think that it's, it's, you're really ill-informed to go and find or follow that one passion because I think we can agree that it will always be there. We can always chase and develop and, and, and go after that thing that's a little better than what we've got. And what I've started to realize is that when we try and continue to find our one passion, we're always chasing happiness instead of realizing it. Uh, instead of trying to find that one passion, try and fi find the things that make us feel passionate. We can realize that happiness is all around us and not something that we have to continue to chase. Um, the second is that very much culture should be a proactive exercise instead of a reactive exercise. Uh, and I say that because G HR generally right now is a departmental conversation. It should be an organizational conversation. HR is typically a cost center and it's not an investment center. We're spending on people and we're not investing in people. And again, we're, we're too busy putting fires out and we're, we're not busy enough preventing them from starting in the first place. And so I think if we can proactively articulate the experience and the differentiators in our organizations, that's what will set us apart. And so I often say that from an organizational standpoint, the things that we aren't are what make us what we are. And I think we can say that from a municipality's standpoint, from an individual's standpoint, and from an organizational standpoint as well. Uh, the third thing I say is, or that I would like to say, or, or that I touch on in the book is around this technological conversation too. I think that generally speaking, we've entered this sort of honeymoon phase of technology where the more technology we adapt or adopt or bring on, the better. If there's another uh, eff efficiency or effectiveness tool uh, that we're going to be better off. And the truth is now that I just saw last month uh, a study that says we're living about 31 and a half hour days. <laughs> and if we've only got 24 hours in the clock and we're spending seven hours of a day sleeping, that means we're multitasking 42% of our day. And if we're doing that, I think we can agree if we're doing two things at once, we're not doing anything all that well. And so really what I'm getting at is it comes down to how do we take the time to really focus on the person or the task in front of us uh, to really give people our time and attention and to really make sure that we have that base of Maslow's hierarchy established so that we do feel like we belong and that we're psychologically safe. And I think if we do, in, in summary, if we do all of these things that, again, work isn't something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do with people we enjoy doing it with. Okay, so here's my, here's my, my cynical question. I'm not cynical, but here's my, my cynics question for you. Sure. Um, I think when we talk to, and I do this too, when I talk to people about, you know, do what you're passionate 
do do something you're passionate about, whatever yeah. that is. But there's an entire. I think that is a certain type of people that have the privilege to do that, and then there's another sure. group of people that don't have the privilege to do that. Like there there are people who um, who listen to podcasts like ours um, and say, "But I just need to get a job to pay my bills and survive." Mm-hmm. So I don't have the opportunity to to necessarily do what I'm passionate about. My son, for example, works at McDonald's. His dream is to be a filmmaker, um, sure. right? And so I always have this argument, like you've got to do. This is, I had this argument with him yesterday, uh, and I said, Matthew, you've got to you know push yourself and and find out what it is you're excited about and 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 follow that and 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 work in that in that. But he's like, but Dad, I got to pay for everything, so I got to I got to work at McDonald's. You know, he's 18 years old. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's that like whole, he always gets sick of me saying things like, be passionate about what you're doing, love what you're doing. So what do you, what do you, say, what do you say to those people? Well, I think you raise a good point. Uh, and I think that there are sort of three buzzwords or phrases or terms that have been floating around over the past sort of half decade now that, um, well, without being too cynical, are kind of nauseating on my front. Their, their purpose, their value add, and their impact. Um, and to your point, you know, I think you can deliver pizza and still have purpose or want to make your impact. I think you can be on the trading floor of Goldman Sachs and you can have purpose and value and impact. I think we're often led to believe that purpose, value, and impact are, are really rooted in triple bottom line sort of CSR companies that are out to save the planet. And that's certainly true as well. I think we as individuals have to identify where our purpose or where our value or where our impact is or where that's coming from and what we're working towards and look at sort of a cost-benefit analysis to see what's that really worth. I mean, I'm going again, going back to Cranbrook, British Columbia, some of the most successful people that I know will make less than $50,000 a year. Why is that? Because success and purpose and value and impact to them means that they're able to take off three weeks in August and go camping with their family and their friends. And who right. are we to say that that's not successful? I think if we understand and define success on our own terms first and foremost, then we can do whatever we need to do to obtain that level of, of success and happiness. So I think you're bang on. I think uh, your son, you know, whether whether my advice is being asked or not, I think he can find happiness and success in, in numerous different places. And even if it's just in the fast food space, you could be doing a very similar job at a or Dairy Queen or Burger King or McDonald's. And the culture and the experience could be night and day different. I think the yeah. sooner we can proactively identify what that experience is going to look like for him, the happier he can be when he goes out to find it. So it's more, it's, it's, it's less of a result. It's more of an approach. Well, right? I think that's this whole, this, this whole conversation uh, around life by design or purpose or value or impact or anything that we're trying to do when it comes to goal setting or otherwise I find that repeated actions and habits that are developed ultimately yield successful results. And if I'm being a little bit more specific on that, successful for you and I today might look something totally different than successful two or years, two or three years down the road. And so one of the adjustments that I tried to make early on is to is to identify success for myself as being an individual and not a position. I think that if the position that I identified to be successful five years ago is not what I want to be doing today, then I perceive that endeavor as a failure. Now, instead, if I wanted to perceive myself to be a person or treated uh, a certain way or to treat others a certain way, then I think I can approach each conversation or each different action 
with an open mind and an open heart. And if an opportunity presents itself that I wasn't ready for two years ago, but because I've adjusted and adapted to who I am today, I can take it knowing that I'm ready for it. Then the whole idea of goal setting changes to be a process and not an outcome. That's a great insight, Eric. Speaking about uh, being proactive, you came up with an assessment piece. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Like that, an assessment that, um, that, you, you talk about quantifying uh, cultures and business, and and what about what, what was that trying to accomplish, and and how do you how did you come up with that? Yeah, I mean, let's just uh, let's take a look here at an example. Um, I'm going to go with accountants uh, in in North America. I think there are about 1.6 million accountants. All of them are highly educated, highly skilled, highly trained, very intelligent individuals. You could be an accountant at Deloitte. You could be an accountant at the local golf course. You could be an accountant for your municipality. You could be an accountant at a boutique accounting firm. And the job that you're going to do is similar, but the experience that you'll have as a result is vastly different. Is it a rough or a warm environment? Is it intense or is it slow? Is it um, an open office concept or is it closed? Are you supposed to work from home or, or do you work from the office? Is it nine to five or is it all consuming? And really what we're trying to say is that there is no best answer. There is no universal best, but there is an optimized answer for the people who are looking to experience that. I think we can agree that 1.6 million accounts aren't going to want the exact same environment to work in. And so the sooner we can identify the qualities of that in, of the of that environment and the experience that they're going to get while they're there, then that becomes a differentiating tool that the company can use to attract and retain the right individual for that uh, environment rather than just saying we're looking for a, a CPA with five years experience who's good in M&A. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that's not really going to be much of a differentiator, yet the experience while they're there is going to be. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that's happening right now in, let's just say, tech-based Vancouver is that companies are so busy talking about the ping pong table and the keg and the open office concept and the dog uh, that maybe people will experience for you know a half an hour on a Friday afternoon if it's the if it's the keg and the ping pong table that they'll forget to talk about the other 39 and a half hours a week that you're actually working there. And then so what we set out to do with this diagnostic tool is to quantify what that experience is actually looks and feels like so that the company could use it as a differentiator so that prospective employees could vet themselves in and out of positions sooner and, and, and more effectively. Well, when I, what I like about what you said, too, is 1.6 million, you know, accountants because there's 1.6 million individuals. Right. So what works for you That's doesn't right. necessarily work for me. So then speaking with that in your book, it says rethink work, finding and keeping the right talent. So as an entrepreneur who has, you know, employees, what are some practical or pragmatic approaches that I can take in order to keep the right talent? I mean, I know that we're all individual and these are kind of broad strokes, but sure. what can I do after, you know, listening to you speak, reading your book, Eric? What, what would I what are some of the, the steps that I could take as an entrepreneur in my hiring practices then? Well, I mean, I've built out uh, an entire course on that. And I'll give you sort of the Coles notes on what that looks like. I sure. think uh, there's there's three pieces that we need to identify. And that's, the first one is the employee experience analysis. And that's just really understanding what does it look like from nine to five or whatever the, the hours are that you're here. You know, is it rough or warm? Is it, uh, do you have a team of four? Do you work by yourself? Is it an open office concept or is it not? Do you meet with your uh, leader once a week, once a month, once a quarter, or once a year? And what does that experience actually look like? Uh, the second thing that I like to talk about, and this is sort of co-created as a team as well, because I think it's bigger than a sort of a mission, vision, and value statement. I think it comes into what are the habits, what are the artifacts, what are the rituals, what are the traditions that we experience here that we can really leverage to understand how we can attract and retain similar people. So I call that the heart of an organization. And if we can co-identify, again, what those habits, 
the artifacts, the rituals, and those traditions are in terms of how we actually show up at work, we can use that to then attract and retain similar valued people by, uh, in terms of experience rather than just sort of valuing maybe a cup of coffee in the morning or being able to watch Netflix after work. I mean, those are values too. But in terms of values, what I'm talking about is what do we value in terms of how we actually show up uh, and how we're treated here in the office? Uh, and the third thing I like to call is sort of that, that identity piece. And, and with the identity piece, I look at what are those three behaviors that you must have in order to succeed in our organization? And what are sort of three things that we don't tolerate here? And if we can do that, if we can understand what those behaviors are, we're not attracting, again, millennials anymore or accountants or females or males or anyone in between. We're now starting to attract an individual who wants that experience. And it's, it's totally different. I mean, the job description that I built out uh, just two weeks ago, I think, was four pages long. But I think that that's the biggest mistake in the modern work world right now is that we think we've got a sales problem. We think we've got a marketing problem. We think we've got a product or a time to market problem. I don't think that's true. I think we've got a talent crisis. And the biggest reason we've got a talent crisis is that we've got this one-page skills and requirements checklist to see if someone's going to be a fit for our team. I mean, let's just get serious, fellas. We're not even talking about a job anymore. If someone's going to be moving from Red Deer, Alberta to Toronto and all they've got is a one-page job description about what their job is going to be on King Street, we've got a bigger problem because they don't even know what it's like to live in Toronto and they might absolutely hate it. And so the job now has to be bigger than this nine to five transactional experience. It has to be an articulation of the life that someone's going to live as a result of the job as well. So I often like to say that culture doesn't stop at five o'clock when people might be punching out. The work environment and the work experience is the life that you live as a job, as a result of the job, knowing that it's not really about work-life balance anymore. It's about work-life integration. And I would take it one step further to say that it's just life and work's a part of it. And I'm not here to say that it's all about the ping pong tables and a, and a fun and fancy free work environment. I'm saying let's really enjoy the thing that we do more than anything else in a day with people that we value working with. So I guess, you know, that's something that's interesting because I think to myself, I've been in business for 28 years. I've had my own company for 28 years and we have a lot of staff that work with us and they come and go. And I think in an entrepreneur who's trying to build their business, and if I look yeah. back over 28 years, you said, you know, at one point it was all open concept was important. And now they're saying maybe open concepts not as important. And right. at one point cubicles, if you had your own, that was like a thing for a while, like cubicles were important or having a corner office was a status thing. So right. that was important and it's going to continue to change. So if you look yeah. at all the ebbs and flows of that, that work environment, and I think it's almost creating less of a job, more of a community is kind of, but that's right. Um, if you look at, at all these ebbs and flows, and if you could whittle it down to a few basic important pieces that that aren't necessarily about the open or closed concept office, the ping pong table or the pinball machine, it's what is what are those, as someone's building their business out and building a community, like what are those, forget the, the, the physical, what about the like the cultural pieces that as a, someone builds out a business from one to two to ten to a hundred employees, what, what what are those things that are going to be common whether or not the whatever is cool or psychologically proven to be the right thing to do, what are those things that will, are, are the are the, the, the things that are the solid things that will stay? Well, I mean, this is where we get into I think that that murky culture conversation um, because. What I what my, in the last four or five years here, what I have observed 
is that generally speaking, we like to think that this universal best culture exists, like this Google culture is the universal best, or this like San Francisco, you know, Silicon Valley tech startup culture is the best culture. And what I like to often say is that, you know, imitation does not equal inspiration. And I think what we need to be taking from these organizations is inspired action or inspired results and less about imitating what those results are going to be. And I think the best example that I can give is that you know a credit union wants to be like a big bank, a boutique consulting or accounting firm wants to be like one of the big four or the big five. And I think that the, con the constants, yes, are the culture, but I think the most important thing that we need to realize is that culture is not constant from organization to organization. The reason people are at credit unions are because of the culture and the values that are that are revealed within that cult, that credit union environment, and not at the big banks. And I think that when we're inspired by some of the actions and some of the results of these big companies that are extremely successful, that are doing incredibly well, and bring that into our organizations and say, "Hey, team, how do we come up with a result like this and innovate in our own way?" That's when we can empower the team to come together and have that sense of belonging. But to answer your question a little bit more directly, how do we scale that experience from one to two to five to 10? Well, I think we rally around people that value a similar lifestyle and a similar experience to the one that we've got and know that we're not trying to attract 90% of the population. We're not trying to attract millennials. We're not trying to attract males or females or anyone in between. We're trying to attract the individual that wants the experience that we're providing for them. And no, it might not be 100 or 200 or 300 people. It might only be four. Well, we're only trying to attract one person at a time. And I think that's the one thing we need to keep coming back to. So speaking to that, then that's a that's a really great point. So speaking to that, we turn the tables a little bit and I'm interviewing for a position and I have one action to take or one question to ask. What would your in your expertise, Eric, what would your um, advice to me to be? So I'm interviewing for your company and I want to know. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I want to know if it's the right fit. What would be the one thing that I could walk away with? Like if you're giving me some advice, what's the one pragmatic approach that I can take with asking the right question or taking the right action to know that if I'm going to go from Red Deer to Toronto, this is going to be the right environment yep. for me? I would, the, the one question that I would ask is, hey, can I take someone who's going to perhaps be on my team for a one hour coffee so I can ask them all about the life they live as a result of the job? Perfect. I mean, so often we're get, we get caught by the gatekeepers, that is the recruiters or that is the individual in HR. And hey, they're doing a great job. I'm not knocking anyone in HR by any means. But it, very often they're not living the experience that you as a prospective employee are going to be living in that job. But you know who is? Is the person that you're going to be spending 40, on average, 47 hours a week with. <laughs> and so if we can speak to them about what time they wake up in the morning and what time they go to bed and how many family members they have at home and how many times they've left the country in the past year and how they work with their boss and how often they work with their team and what it looks like when they've got a doctor's appointment at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. Can they take it or do they have to reschedule? I mean, these things are all important. And again, there's no right or wrong. There just is or isn't. And the sooner we identify that and the more proactive we can be in identifying this fit, uh, the more reasonable these expectations are going to be uh, and see that those expectations are going to be met. Because I think that's the biggest problem in the modern working world now too, is because of these job descriptions, we've found that these expectations are so blown out of proportion. We like to think that these millennials or Gen Zers or Gen Zers are narcissistic and entitled and not loyal and you know they hop from place to place. And not to fault anyone in particular, I think that expectations are totally unrealistic when they get into the workplace because the job description only talks about the perks and the benefits of the job and not really what it's like to be there. I was talking to a bank 
last year that said their frontline staff sticks around for on average uh, eight months. I was speaking to a travel agency that said they had 38% turnover. I was speaking to another organization that, that was in uh, manufacturing that said they had 120% turnover last year. Wow. And I said, well, look, can I take a look at your job description? And I saw it. And it was just like, you know, it was advertised as this Disneyland for adults. And that, that's not the reality. The reality is there's got to be 40 hours of work that are put in a week. And I think the more true we can be about these experiences, the better we can be at attracting the right people. It's right. funny you should say that because I think that's what one of the cool things right now, and you know, is, is to be an entrepreneur. It's kind of like entrepreneurship is the new rock star. Um, you know, it totally the, is. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's that, that fake advertised lifestyle, that the job yeah. maybe is advertising this Disneyland environment, as you said, but it's like yeah. entrepreneurship is this fake, like all is easy and well and the life's going to be glorious as an entrepreneur. And you know and mm -hmm. I know that that's not true. That's right. And so I think that's, that's really interesting that whether you're working for yourself or working for someone else, the reality of what you're doing and the whole picture is so important. Yeah. Well, can I ask a question back, actually? Stu, you said uh, your first job, you know, a little while ago now. How did you find out about that first job? My, my first job? Yeah. What do you mean? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Sorry, like, was it, was it on a bulletin board at the end of a hallway? Was it through a family friend oh. or a connection? Did you drop your resume off on, on, on the desk? You know, how did you go about learning or getting hired for that first job? Well, I'm old, so I'm not going to ever be the top 100 under 35. Uh, that's long gone for me. But for me, it was, I literally, I was, a, it was a resume, it was a dress up, it was go in. The questions were always about, you know, for me, it was, you went to the job interview and you, the questions were about your abilities and there was never anything sold to me about how good it was going to be for me. It was what I could right. do for them and how I yeah. could do it for them or how well I could do it for them. So there was, there was never, uh, I worked in radio uh, and it was all about how crappy the job was going to be and could I handle right. it. Not about, this is a great place to work. Well, and, and here's the reason why I ask. Because if you look now at tenure in, in industry, uh, some of the longest tenure that I've seen is in law, actually. Hmm. And uh, if anyone's familiar in law, you, you have to start with articling. And the one thing that's advertised when you have to article in law is how crappy the job's going to be, how long the hours are, yeah. how you don't get paid very well to start, but you work to that next level. And because expectations are met <laughs> and you're expecting the worst, you know you're signing up for it too, right? Uh, but I think it's in this sort of these tech world now where you're promised the world and realize that you still have to work 40, 45 hours a week and realize that those expectations are met. That's when some of the problems happen. now. The other thing that I'll say too, Stu, is that um, you said you got dressed up and dropped off resumes. Yes. Now if you look at any individual, whether they're 55 or 15, who's applying for a job, you've got LinkedIn, you've got Monster, you've got Indeed, you've got all of these different websites where we've got this sort of this paradox of choice. Any of the three of us could apply to you know 100 jobs today if we want to without putting our pants on. Yeah. And so I think that uh, the whole world of how we're looking for these jobs too has changed completely. And I would actually say that the fastest way that we can speed up this human connection and get these jobs is to actually slow down. It is to get dressed up again. It is to go shake someone's hand. It is go to go buy someone a coffee, to hand someone in a resume so that the resume then becomes a follow-up document and not a leading document. Because what happens when that radio station that you went in and got dressed up and applied for also has 1,500 resumes, virtual yep. resumes that are stacked up online as well. Who's going to get the job? Well, it's you every time. And I think the sooner we can simplify this to go back to human to human 
to be really intentional and proactive about the research that we're doing and the people that we're going to be working with, I think this sort of facade or this allure of complexity and competition starts to fade away and become a lot more simple than we're giving credit to. Yeah, and I think entrepreneurs actually, they, as they build their businesses out, are trying to advertise their culture of like, it's the most fun place to be in the whole wide world. Come work for my new startup. And that's not yeah. true. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> and I think that those are the entrepreneurs that are making the biggest mistakes. You and know, they don't I last. would love to see an entrepreneur to say, hey, we're looking for someone who's going to grind it out with us for, for the next couple of years. We'll give you a little bit of equity, but yeah. you can expect to work 60 hour work weeks. You're going to be by yourself a lot of the time. There isn't much room for holiday, there isn't much room for free time. But if this is an experience that you want to sign up for, and you want to really sink your teeth into something that's going to make a big impact or a big dent on this planet, hey, we'd love to actually entertain a conversation yeah. with you. And that honesty, I think, is going to go so far in allowing people to actually understand what they're signing up for in the first place. Really quickly to go back to, I remember we when we built out a website, our, our current website for our company, our company is, is large and it's confusing, so it's hard to build a website that works for it. So we still have this old one that we had with a company. And I remember I paid, I don't know, we paid about, I think about sixty-five or seventy thousand dollars this website to get built, and when I go to right. their offices, there were couches and ping-pong tables and PlayStation boot areas and pinball, like pinball, four pinball machines. And every time I walked in there, there was everyone just playing and having fun. And I'd always yeah. want to ask because I'm older. I'd ask the, our project manager, like, does anybody work here? Like, it just seems like it's like a daycare for mm -hmm. adults. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "What's everyone do?" And the, the 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 weird part about weird part about that was they were completely they did not deliver on their timeline, mm -hmm. did not deliver on their product, they did not deliver on anything. But the, when I asked them, I called them out on it, and I said, "Like we have an unfinished website that took six months longer than you said, that is not right. functional. Like, what if you had a staff that worked really hard and knew that was like they had to get that done? That was the job." And he said, we can't hire people unless we give them all the other stuff and unless they're given all this time to just relax and breathe and be creative. And, and I was like, but they're not doing their job. And that, that's, that's for us, right. and we hire 110, 120 people a year, it's harder and harder to hire people because this expectation is, like people graduate university now and they expect six-figure incomes out of university. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know, why, I don't know why, why I went with that, but I just was thinking about the, the disconnect between like the play as opposed to the point of your job. Right. Well, I think, again, the, the big thing that pops up for me there, obviously not having experienced the workforce specifically that you're talking about, but it's just generally a, a, a scarcity mindset, thinking that we can't hire unless we. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the truth is, is that once a culture like that is established, it's very difficult to change, change right? Because then expectations are already set. Now, again, if we're more proactive and articulating that, hey, this is going to be tough work and you are going to make a big difference, that whatever you say and do in this organization will have a ripple effect for everyone else that's yeah. around you. And if you want to dedicate this time and, and this, this amount of resources or, or, or this amount of your professional career to this task, then, hey, we'd love to have you. And if not, that's, that's not a problem either. But, Pro you know, you can bet in an environment like that, that resumes are becoming in left, right, and center, but that oh, doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that you've got a great culture as a result of that. And yeah. I think that it, in, in many cases, it's actually the opposite. You know, you're not looking for 120 people to apply, you're looking for that one right person yeah. to apply, and that'll come through the experience of the people that are already there. Um, you know, we've got an event coming up in April, Eric, called Epic, 
Um, I heard. I know. And uh, we're excited you're going to be there. Um, and uh, and I kind of wanted to like, so Epic, you know, it's about bringing together people who are entrepreneurs, philanthropists, innovators, and collaborators, um, business people, and both in the in the corporate world and in the nonprofit world, and just like that, how to build an epic life, an epic business, uh, an epic future. What would you be sharing with that group? Like, if they come and they hang out with us, like, what are you going to share with them? Like, what's your what was your your pinpoint message going to be to that group of people? And you know, we um, well, a, a lot of this is going to be around the talent attraction retention piece, around the culture piece. I, I think what I'll be really bringing to the epic community is is really how to win that talent war. I'll give sort of three unorthodox, counterintuitive rules to to play or rules to apply to our organizations to really differentiate and really hone in on. Uh, the culture that we want to create as an organization, not necessarily the societal norm that I think a lot of us are trending towards. And I think that if we can ultimately, you know, not blow it before day one, <laughs> I think if we can give everyone a paintbrush, uh, and if we can really create that life by design or that organization by design, knowing that what's right for us might not be right for somebody else, that we can be really intentional about the culture that we want to create and the life that we want to live as a result. And you know, I'm really excited to bring that message to the Epic community and really give them some tangible takeaways, some actionable items that they can uh, apply to their organizations and something that they can do the day, the minute after they leave, the week after they leave, or a month after they leave, knowing that they'll uh, be a little bit better when they left than before they came. And, and what's great <clears throat> is that people come to Epic and have a chance not only to, to hear Eric's message, um, and it, you know his this this the skill set that he has in this in this in this field, but to ask you questions and interact with you and to you know, right. really have a one on one with you and like you know specifically whatever they're doing. Um, so how do people get a hold of you? Like what's the how do they keep best bet for me is 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 LinkedIn or just through my website. Uh, so EricTremoney.com or LinkedIn is is great as well. Um, you know one thing if I can just offer a little bit of a plug for the Epic community as well, just on a personal basis, Sue. I think what you've done with curating this group of speakers is is nothing short of incredible. I mean, uh, admittedly, I'm fairly new to this space. I've got a couple hundred keynotes under my belt now, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good on stage and you know, I've had a lot of success over the past couple of years, but I look at this roster, you know, and I see Neen there, I see Phil, I see Scott, and I see this group of 15 uh, incredible people, all of which I've looked up to since the day I decided I wanted to pursue this as a career. And to be able to share this stage with those people uh, and to be able to have an opportunity for a prospective attendee to actually experience an hour with each of these individuals, not to mention the Q&A after the personal relationships that can be developed. I think that uh, it is absolutely a great value and an unforgettable experience that they'll get in late April here in Vancouver. You might want to call it epic. I would. I think epic's a great <laughs> word to use. All right. Well, listen. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Yeah. Nick, why do you want to wrap it up? Yeah. Just thanks, Eric. I mean, you were uh, you were you came as advertised, my man. It was uh, it was really great talking to you, and and I'm looking forward to getting to, to know you a little more in in, uh, in April. And looking forward to hearing you speak. Fantastic. And, and getting to, well, getting thank to know you, you both. And I look forward to seeing you uh, in my hometown here in Vancouver yeah. uh, in April. Then enjoy your vacation and have a great uh, New Year. Thank you very much. You too. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was uh, thanks for 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 to Eric for for taking time out of his busy schedule before he goes off on a trip to Panama. I think he told us he was going to, um, and uh, you know, like, what a wealth of knowledge at twenty six years of age. Yeah. yeah, he's a smart young man, and, like, and I mean, he's just. But uh, you know what? I think he. It's great. I'm glad that it just shows young entrepreneurs out there that you don't have to be a certain age demographic in order to be successful in life. 
he, one of the things that I took from him was he's like, this is the space that I want to be a part of and I'm just going to really lean into. And Lean and, in, as you say. Yeah. He really is leaning into what he wants to to, to do and, and, and to have that expertise um, to do it. And he's flying all over the world in order to, uh, to get on stages and talk to, you know, biz, business executives and businesses from yeah. all sizes. And, and uh, yeah, no, he's, uh, he's a real uh, game changer. It's, you know, it's a real thing that people, people struggle with when they build their business as an entrepreneur, as you build your business out, is to build that culture, um, that community in, in your workplace that people not only want to, to be part of. He talked a lot about that turnover rate in some yeah. of these businesses. Um, because when this is 120 percent, 20 percent. Yeah, he said, you know, because they're advertising Disneyland, yeah. and then you get there, it's not you have to you have to work. It's your job. Like it's not just about you know it's not a daycare. They're not there to just look after you. You have to work, and I think that's really good as you build your business out, build up your brand, build up your company, your organization, that you start, you know. And as he said, it was great. He said, once you've if you've done it wrong, once you've done it, it's hard to mm-hmm. to pedal backwards. You can't. It's hard to rebuild. So one takeaway from Eric, quick. Um, Two takeaways. Can I give two. Sure. Uh, number one is that you have to when you're when you're small as a business start building out a business that not only talks about the benefits but the realities of your business. So like this is the benefits of working here, the culture, the greatness of it, but also the reality. It does take work. It does take mm-hmm. time. So don't candy coat it out. Like they, they people should know what they're getting into. Yeah. Um, that's important. Otherwise, you're going to be just people going to turn over and quit. Uh, and the second one is, well, you, you, yours and I'll do mine. Sure. My, uh, the, se- the first one that I, that I came up with or that I took from Eric was habits yield results. Yeah. And it's funny because, I, I mean, if, I, I bet you if you circle back to all the episodes that we've done where we've interviewed these high performers, you know, they all have the same sort of, not necessarily the same message, but one of the underlining themes with all their messages is habits, habits, habits. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for him, it's, he says the same kind of thing. It's just, you know, habits yield results. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, he's a, he's a real uh, mover in his, in his space and, yeah. and uh, people should listen yeah I think also I think it's one of the challenges when you when you build a business out is people are always talking about um, uh, these like temporary outsourced employees that you don't really know but mm-hmm. they'll do work for you and I think outside of like very menial tasks of like putting you know stamps on envelopes or hitting send on emails um, they're, they're never gonna have your culture they're never gonna have your passion they're never gonna have whatever it is you're doing. So I think that's why it's important to hire employees that are, uh, create a team that is as passionate, as, as close to it as, as you are about. Yeah. No one's ever as passionate as you are. It's rare to find someone who's always as passionate, but as close as they can. And the other thing I took away from the, uh, my second thing was, you don't have to have a second, I think my second you'll agree with, um, is that he is excited as we are about Epic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know the that that group of speakers is going to be second to none, and to have the time to listen and to ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, ex- I'm so excited for him. To, I'm excited to see him at, at Epic, and as uh, as it was a fantastic interview, he's going to be a fantastic keynote. Yeah, and anybody who um, comes on board with us, um, I don't know. Oh, my computer just died. The computer, the computer just died. So input signal, and the signal is this. Um, the signal <laughs> is, if you come to Epic, you get to have uh, one of his books. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, so thanks for uh, for watching another amazing, hopefully uh, fulfilling and, and interesting and inspiring episode, um, and 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 uh, we helped increase your knowledge base a little bit. So thanks, listen to the Authentic Entrepreneur. I'm Stu Saunders. I'm Nick Foley. Keep being authentic.